When we think about immigration good news or really any good news, we oftentimes think about the end product only. We only think about like we finally crossed the finish line and we've got this good thing that's happened or look at the warm fuzzies. Today, my podcast guest, Ashley Chapman, is a military spouse. She's a mom. She's an educator. And she adopted two children while she and her husband were stationed in Korea. And today we spend a lot of time in the buildup to the good thing. So part of the takeaway I encourage you to have today is to hear that good things are those we have to work for sometimes. Sometimes good things just drop in our lap, but there are so many things in life that if you're in the thick of it, if you feel like you're underwater and you're drowning, I want this to be, I want this to be a little bit of oxygen that goes into your lungs that fills you up just enough for you to know that t- tomorrow's another day. I just have to finish today, one foot in front of the other. I'm not going to give up because the good thing that I'm working for, the good thing that is worth all of the things that I'm going through right now or that I have been through for the past many, many years, maybe it's been decades, my friend, the thing that you're working on, it's worth it. It's coming to you. I believe it for you. And Ashley's story and her family that she's building brick by brick, it's it's part of the good news story and she's living proof. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Immigration Law Made Easy. We are here for a some immigration good news. We hear way too much of the crap about immigration law, the bad stuff about immigration law. Today, we're here with the one and only Ashley Chapman, who, although born and raised here in the United States, has an amazing immigration law story to share. Ashley is one of my former clients. And even before we were in an attorney-client relationship, we got to know each other while living in Korea as fellow military spouses. And at one point my dog even attacked your dog. I still have not lived that down, even though my dog, the attacking dog, she's already passed on, but I'm still feeling bad about that. Ashley, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Okay. So it's been a, there was a life before Korea and then there was life after Korea. Tell me a little bit about your life before Korea. Oh goodness. Before Korea, my husband and I had been married about five years. He's a pilot in the air force. So we traveled around a bit and life was good, but we wanted to have kids and we wanted to adopt specifically. Most people always say, Oh, you adopted because you couldn't get pregnant. That's not our case. We just really had a passion to adopt. And we thought, how the heck do people choose where to adopt from? What does that look like? And so when we got the assignment to Korea at first, I went, no, (laughs) I don't want to live overseas. I'm scared. But then I started thinking about the adoption and maybe that would be something we could pursue. And the ball started rolling on that before we even moved there. And long story short, we came home with three kids. So (laughs) you came home with three kids. Yes. Home with three kids four years later. Four years later. Well, when I met you, you were going through some pretty intense challenges related to mothering that were before you had kids. Can you tell us a little bit about that? True. I got pregnant in Korea and then had a miscarriage, which was rough. And it was rough in all the ways. It's hard to have a miscarriage. And then it was also hard in that we were in the middle of this adoption process. We were hoping for private adoption and we were hoping to be connected with a birth mother. And so when our connections in the, you know, Korean community found out I was pregnant, you know, all those doors closed. And then I miscarried. And so even the biological door had just closed. 
and it felt quite hopeless. And like, that was the end of our journey at that moment. just want to stay here in this for a minute because so many people, millions of women every year have miscarriages and it's hard to know when and where and how to talk about it. Yeah. And then to amplify that, by having a miscarriage in a foreign country. We had in Korea limited access to medical care because we were on a base that allowed for families, but at the same time, it was not equipped to handle, I guess, full gyno, I can't even say that word, OBGYN services. You know right, what I correct. mean? Like, yeah, we had to travel to Seoul for, a different for base. real services. Yeah. Or, or to the city, exactly. We have lots of women who are here in the United States who this isn't their home turf and they have miscarriages as well. So there's a lot of overlap in that experience, which is, of course, not an experience you sought out to have. What was it like to be a foreigner having a miscarriage? You know, it was quick. So it was terrifying <laughs> because I didn't know I was having a miscarriage. I didn't know what was happening. I thought I was dying. Um, I went through all the stages of labor very quickly. And so my body was very much in shock. I can now look back and see, oh, I was in transition. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't have family. You know, I really had to rely on the people around me. I was, you know, carried out of our tower of 113 homes on a stretcher to the hospital. Like that was, it was terrifying. It was a, a rough experience to be there and to have that alone feeling. And then even when you're healing, you know, you want to have your family around you. And that's really what solidified a lot of my military spouse friendships and relationships. Mm-hmm. They were there for me when my family couldn't be. And probably I'm guessing may have motivated you to build your family no matter what, because oh, that yeah. was just the beginning of a very long process Absolutely. of building a family. I got a taste of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was pregnant. There was, there was a little baby there and the dreaming began and the, when are we going to start our family was the answer was now, now we're going to start our family. It's officially here. It's happening. And then it wasn't. So yeah, yeah, the fire was strong. It was lit (laughs) through the miscarriage. And, And through this, despite a lot of these doors feeling like they were closed. Meanwhile, two separate Korean women were very with child. They were yes. the boys who would later become your sons, or perhaps they had always been your sons. It was just a matter of time for the law to recognize them. My arm hair just stood up at that thought. (laughs) It's kind of, they were there freaking miraculous. I know it's like, I was going through all of it at the same time their birth mothers were in a lot of ways. And it was, it's special looking back to have had my heart being prepared through pregnancy while not pregnancy with them, but to have my heart prepared for them in some of the same ways, even my hormones, you know, altered and prepared to be their mother. Yeah. Yeah. It really is amazing. So you have two boys who you adopted in Korea. Tell me about getting connected with child number one, because (laughs) child number two is the great surprise or great bonus, great icing on the cake. Tell me about child number one. Sure. Well, ironically, most people don't know this initial story. So we you know, had a great Korean friend that sort of worked as my translator. And we had written a letter to a future birth mother explaining why we want to be parents, why we specifically want to be parents of a child from Korea, and why we think private private adoption is a better way, both for the child, for the mother giving up the child, and for us. And that letter had gotten into the hands of both birth mothers that had were pregnant at the time with both of our sons. And they actually both emailed my friend on the same day. She compiled their information and 
sent it to me and said, oh my goodness, I heard back from, you know, about a child, read it. And I read it and I was so confused because there was information about a child that was due in July and, and all the information about the birth mother. And there was information about a child that was due in August and all of the information about the birth father. And I went, well, did they mix up the due date? There's a birth mother, there's a birth father, but there's, is there, is this two? And then I wrote to her that I was so confused and she was like, no, there's two. And I was like, there's two. What? How is there too? So we pursued both. And, you know, backstory to this is I had always wanted twins. I mentored twins through college and high school and junior high. Even if you had asked me if I could just pick what my family looked like, this is it. And, but because we had had so many failures and so many connections fall through, we thought, well, we'll pursue both, but there is absolutely no way this is going to work out. So let me take a step back just for people who like me aren't as familiar with the adoption process. What's the difference between private and I think you said public adoption? Yes. So private adoption is when you are connected with the birth parent directly. You make that connection with them. Maybe it's somebody you know, or it's a friend of a friend, but I guess public isn't the right word, but um, agency adoption is the other route where the agency is in contact, usually through an orphanage um, or through birth parents directly, and they connect you with a child. So at the time we adopted, there were five agencies that were allowed to essentially be facilitators between Korean children and American parents, adoptive parents. And all five of them would not work with you if you were living in Korea. So that was not a route that we could take. So we did do our due diligence. We worked with an agency that did China adoption, that but worked with U.S. parents. And we did all of our Hague approved um, training with them, our home study with them. So we went through the whole process of adopting except for the part where they introduce you to your child. It's like we went through all of the legwork with no promise of ever being introduced to a child. So it was miraculous to then actually have what I had hoped would happen, that there was a birth mother that I believed was out there to read our letter and to pursue making that connection with us. Amazing. I think that maybe the things in your mind or the prayers that you pray are stronger than you're realizing. I'm At least that's the sense I'm getting. So you should be careful with that. <laughs> Um, People ask how it happened. I say prayer and persistence. Prayer yes. and persistence. Yes, yeah. I love it. So you you meet these. It sounds like you meet a birth mom and perhaps a birth dad. Before we get into that, though, tell me. I know this, but let's tell listeners what it's like in Korea if if mm. you're put in an orphanage. I, I don't know what the forgive me because I'm probably going to say it wrong. So educate me on how to say this better. But I feel like given up is this like uh, you're a a prize pig or something like that. So I'm sure there's a way better way of saying that, but like in our vernacular, I, I heard <laughs> that too many times, but yeah. I've been to Korean orphanages and noticed that there were a lot of kids who they were not eligible for adoption because the parents had not fully relinquished parental rights and, and made these kids eligible for adoption. Can Correct. you give us a little background? Because that's a, at least in my experience of Korea, that might be a, a Korean cultural ism. Yes. So there's two things I think to, or or two, what do I say? Maybe there's three, (laughs) sorry. There's about three reasons why we specifically pursued private adoption in Korea. Number one, we couldn't go through an agency. It wasn't an option, but also within that, the number of children that the country of South Korea was allowing out every year was diminishing. I mean, from in the thousands per year to, I think it was 300 and something the year we were trying to adopt, but the number of orphans was the same. So the 
likelihood of being able to adopt through an agency was also far lower. And what was happening was there's a rule in Korea that if you can't take care of your child, you can take your child to an orphanage, but they retain your family name. They retain the legality of they are your child, but the orphanage cares for them. And as long as you visit that child and this part, I'm going to get wrong. I want to say it's like every six months. As long as you visit that child, um, you, they can stay there. So there are many children in Korean orphanages that are just in the system for life. So my thinking was, if we can get a child who's going to go to an orphanage because their parents cannot care for them properly out of that system, out of that cycle, that that would be the best way. There's another part I'm forgetting. <laughs> well, my experience of going to a Korean orphanage was it was like an institution. So yeah. it was like a daycare that kids just lived at and they never yeah. went home and they were not tucked in by a mom or a dad. It was Correct. a very much like not in a negative sense, but just a, a baby boot camp, if you will. Like you're going to get tucked in in this group home right. environment. And there are dozens and dozens of children to one caretaker. So like a kindergarten teacher who lives on property for 12 right. hours a day. Yeah, it's very much like that. And so as a, a young woman, if you're having a child and you don't know what to do with this child, you cannot care for this child. You are legally not allowed to get an abortion in Korea. It's illegal. So your options are adoption or sending your child to this orphanage where you visit them every once in a while. If you give them up for adoption, there is a huge stigma in Korean culture. Huge. Everything's public record. If you get married and divorced, it's public record. If you are adopted, it's public record. The family line, the bloodlines in Korea are strong. Your family name matters. So if you don't have that, it's very looked down upon. So or if you damage it, because now you've, yeah. uh, you've, you've put a child up for adoption, you have damaged it. And yeah. is, is my understanding that a lot of times people don't want to marry someone who's given a child up for adoption? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's public record. If you've done that. Wow. So I mean, to be honest, they typically don't want to marry someone, even with them having had a child with somebody else's name. So yeah. What an interesting and, and sad cultural tradition that I hope we see change someday. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, both of our, our sons, both of their birth parents chose us because we are American, because they wanted their kids to be raised in a country where adoption was accepted, where it wouldn't hold them back in life, where they could do anything they want to do, be anything they want to be, that their starting point in life does not define them. Ah, uh, I got the chills all over. <laughs> Isn't that incredible that we like we're born into that? Yeah. Like I I don't deserve that, but I oh. I got it. It's yeah. I am so grateful for it. Okay. Yeah. So you find out we might be having twins, but I'm <laughs> I'm I'm probably if I'm guessing you're scared to have hope. You're going to oh. see it until it's you're not going to believe it until you see it yeah. in some sense because you have to protect your mom heart just having endured this miscarriage. Mm -hmm. What happens next? We celebrated our sixth anniversary in Korea. Babies, and couple of babies yourselves, right? Exactly. At the time, doesn't six years feel like the longest? You're like, we're six years married. <laughs> six years married. I was 29 and I felt like I was so old and wise. Now I know. <laughs> Come to find out. I know. Right. I hear you. Okay. So you celebrate your sixth anniversary. Yes. And then the next day is when we got the letter about the two boys. And then we found ourselves one week later, the following Sunday, driving to Busan to meet our son number one and unsure of what would happen. We were in the car with all the legal Korean paperwork for her to sign, but we wanted to give her time to make that decision. So we brought all the supplies 
for her to care for him properly and plan to leave all of that and to leave her with everything. We spent the entire day with her and with Levi just sitting in her apartment with our translator. We found an amazing number of commonalities, which was really special. Like they had a dachshund, we had a dachshund and silly things like that. She came from a long line of fishermen and my husband loves to fish and she craved meat all while pregnant and beef and my husband's call sign and the Air Force is meat. So that was like really just a silly, funny thing. We found a lot of commonalities and we got along so well and it rained. This will give me goosebumps, but it it rained and it stormed the whole way there. And when she put him in my arms, the sun came out and it like shone through the window and we have a picture of it. And he was just glowing in my arms, like this magical moment. And we knew, like I knew that he was my son. It was instant love and it was incredible. Amazing. Yeah. I think she knew it and she felt it too. And so she said, I want you to take him home today. I want, you are his mom and I want him to know you as his mom from the very beginning. And he was at this time a day and a half old. So we brought a two day old baby home, (laughs) drove five hours. In Korean traffic. In Korean traffic. I mean, talk about a trip home from the hospital. Cause when we had our twins, Sean had to drive home from, it was like Centennial Hills in Las Vegas, maybe a mile and a half from our house. And the drive home was like, you know, 12 miles an hour. He drove like he'd never driven before. I cannot imagine how Patrick or you drove that day. Yes. Through (laughs) Korean traffic, like six hours. Well, and this is the part I don't know if you can put on your podcast, but (laughs) we drove him home five plus hours without a car seat because the Koreans that we were traveling with didn't believe in car seats. They wouldn't allow it. They said, no, he's a baby. The babies don't like a car seat. So therefore you don't use it. And that that is so Asia. Yes. Yes. And then we got to the base and we couldn't just, I mean, he, at this point, he's a Korean citizen. He's not a U.S. citizen. We didn't want to get like caught with this baby. I mean, we had all the legal Korean paperwork with us, but at the same time, this is just very unknown, scary territory. So we're like putting a pillow up so they don't see him as we're driving on base without a car seat onto an American base to get him home. So it was all levels of out of my comfort zone. Oh man. Cause you're a rule follower by trade. I would imagine. I try to be. <laughs> I know. Well, you're playing, playing fast and loose when you got to for your baby. Okay. So you get what you got to do. You get him home. Yeah. And then what happens? (laughs) Oh gosh, I'm not sure where you're going with this. Oh, I mean like there's a Jim Gaffigan. He's such a hilarious dad joke comedian. I love him. And he says like, it's like having four kids is like you're drowning and someone hands (laughs) you a baby. (laughs) Yes. And so So, there you are unexpected. There's no nine, 10 month process of like preparing the nursery and proofing everything. You're handed a baby. We're handed a baby. We get home. I had texted a few friends, a photo of him in the car saying, we're coming home with a baby help. And this is just the second time that all of our community rallied around us. We got home. Our door was decorated. My house was clean. There was food in my fridge. They had brought all the diapers, all the baby things they could think I would possibly need. Even little knit baby shoes were gifted. And it was magical to come home to that. It was a whirlwind, but it was magical. And then we just tried to settle in as quickly as we could. And he didn't have a name for 10 days because we didn't know it was happening. So, you know, there was a a big poster up at the squadron and people would put suggestions and yeah. So meets baby meets baby. Yeah. Meets baby. Okay. So then you get another phone call. Yeah. So we hear that the second baby's dad is wanting to pursue the same thing, the adoption with us. And we were actually, can I back up? Sorry. Of course. Um, I feel like I need to talk about their names a little bit, please. I'm going to do that because I think it's important. So 
to go back to baby number one, so we ended up naming him Levi, which means attached in harmony, because that is that moment with the sunshine shining on him. It was instant. He was attached in harmony to us. And Jin, his we gave him a Korean middle name, means gift from God. And he just felt like such a gift from God. And Johan yeah. is another version of, Johan and Jin are versions of John, the English name. And so both mean gift from God. And we thought, well, if that second baby, if that ever happens, We'll, we'll give him the middle name Johan and they can kind of have matching. And then my dad's middle name is John. So it was just kind of a special thing. So we get the message about a couple weeks later about baby number two and his birth father writes to us and he says, Johan was born and I want you to adopt him. And I had been, mind you, weeks leading up to this, you know, all the chaos of baby number one of Levi thinking, I don't know if I can do this again, as every new mother who has had a newborn knows the sleepless yes. night, all of that. Yes. Going, how can I bring home another baby? They'll be six weeks apart in age. They'll be going through every milestone, just a little bit off. It's not the same as twins. It's slightly different. Um, how can we do this? But when I got that call that Johan, the name we chose, his birth father also chose that means gift from God had been born and that he was choosing us to adopt him. It was like, I knew that was the, the kind of the shining light moment we had with Levi. That was the moment, even though I hadn't met him yet that was that we knew he was going to be ours. And ironically, you know, we had asked people to donate stuff because it took two to three weeks to get shipments in Korea. And we started getting exactly two of everything. We had two cribs donated. We had two high chairs. We had two baby bouncers, two of two car seats, literally two of everything was donated. Never three, never one, always two. And it was scary. (laughs) It was was amazing. Um, And uh, we ended up meeting Johan, which we later named Samuel, meaning God has heard because God heard every one of those prayers, every one of those tears, God heard. And, um, and he also was, you know, Johan, the gift from God. So we brought Samuel home about two months after Levi, he was two weeks old. He initially went with his paternal grandparents to, while they were figuring out all the legality and the paperwork. And it was so precious to bring them home together and start that journey. Amazing. We're now eight-year-old best friends. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is there ever a point where you stop and you think this is my life? Like how, how incredible is my life? Because if you don't, you really should. Because I'm just saying, <laughs> I get to hear a lot of life stories and you really should because yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, pretty much every time I meet somebody new and I start to tell it and their eyes get really big and <laughs> you're like, all right, I'm just here. I'm just here for yeah. it. And I never want to shorten it to the condensed version because God is good. And they, these boys are a miracle. And the way it all happened is incredible. And I don't want to stifle all of that. So yeah. Yeah. So you get these boys, yeah. but some of the journey really had just begun Absolutely. because the, the process, particularly for immigrate for us immigration, mm-hmm. you have to do a few things on the Korean immigration and adoption side right. first. Right. So the first, our first step was for these boys to be legally recognized as ours in Korea. And that took some time. The Korean government was not happy that we had not given these boys a chance to be adopted by a Korean family family. But that was the choice of their birth parents. Their birth parents did not want that for them. They wanted them to be adopted by an American family. They sought us out for that reason. So there was a, it was a bit touch and go there for a while. We did not know if they would be adopted. Levi's case was in Suwon. Samuel's case was up north near Seoul. And Sam's judge was a bit more understanding of our case. 
and he accepted it. And we, to this day, and you know, Samuel's our second son, don't know if Levi's would have been accepted if Sam's had not been first, because Levi's was then accepted um, a week later, but it took an entire year. It took a year of raising bees as my babies, knowing they were mine without the legality from the US or the Korean government that they are mine. All I had was paperwork from their birth parents saying, we want you to be their parent and we give you the legal right to raise them. But it took the time to get that um, official. Against the backdrop from the military side of Korea is designed for us Americans or us Mm -hmm. American military spouses and military families. It's designed to be a very typically short tour. Usually it's like a year, maybe two. Some people like me, we stayed on for the, for three, but right. And that's rare. That's like the max. That's like the max. So you, you right. have this other ticking time bomb, we which did. is your husband's, the whole reason you're legally able to be in Korea is right. coming to possibly an end. Right. So the summer that the boys were officially became ours is the same summer we were initially supposed to leave. So we did extend for that third year, which was fairly easy to, to get. And, you know, we were very excited about that. And a few months after the boys citizenship was final, I got pregnant and we were, we were set to then move on my due date and we extended another six months. So we ended up being there three and a half years, which was just a wild ride. Yeah, it really is. So thank goodness that sometimes I love how the the second really is first, like how if Sam's hadn't gotten approved, you feel like maybe Levi's wouldn't have that everybody is reliant. Birth order is important, but perhaps not as important as we might emphasize. Um, Everything finally falls into place after a year of not knowing. And I think that that is easy to gloss over because now we're many, many years removed from that. Mm -hmm. But I cannot imagine raising children and, and then wondering if the court system is going to rule in my favor, especially when yeah. the cards are a bit stacked against you because Korea wanted to keep these kids in Korea. They did. Yeah. I mean, they didn't want this going well. The kids would not have been counted in the adoption numbers, but yeah, they, it doesn't look good, right? It doesn't look good that they can't find a home within the country. So, and, and Korea is very much about protecting their image, especially in the global economy. Like They want to say, we can take care of our people ourselves and we can do it well. And, and in some ways, I think the orphanage system that they have set up is good in that way. If someone goes through a rough season, they don't have to just give their child up. I mean, they can say, okay, you're going to go live here for a while and be in a safe situation until I can get my life in order and come and see you. So, yeah, well, I mean, and we have that here in the U.S. I firsthand know what it's like to be in foster care for a short time while your family gets its uh, business lined out and then you go back home. But this is obviously talk about the mother or father's right to choose in a totally different sense. Okay. So, well, and to be honest, Hillary, I forget how hard it was. My boys just turned eight. It's been a long time and I forget how hard that year was. But looking back, I remember being like, I am not a detail oriented person. That's not my gifting. I'm much more of an artist type. And I remember just being stuck there with piles of legal paperwork, just trying to check every box because me keeping my voice was at stake and, and going to everybody I knew that knew anything about the law and saying, does this look right? Am I doing this right? Is And, and at one point, my husband went on a trip out of the country and I was up every night and I would drink coffee. I'd put the boys to bed and I would drink coffee and I would stay up half the night because I had to make phone calls back to the US for certain things and places weren't open. So there was a time difference issue there. And I eventually passed out and got a concussion and hit my head on the tile, which I'm not proud of running myself down to that point. But it, I think it highlights the desperation of a mother trying to keep her kids. 
limits and trying to do literally everything in her physical, emotional power to do that. Yeah. What could you do for a mother who's in that situation? Because people are in that situation right now who are listening. What advice would you give you seven, eight years ago? You know, I had a wonderful friend, Martha, who came and sat on my couch one night. She came at 11, sat on my couch for several hours with me while I made all those phone calls. And it really helped to not be alone going through it. And so I would say, number one, ask for help because people will want to help. You know, I guarantee you there is somebody that would want to help in that situation. And when you're trying to give a family member or a child a better life, life. You're putting in that hard work. And two is, you know, ask for help from people who know more than you do. I know at that time I reached out to you and I also reached out to another legal professional that worked at the base that lived in our building to read over some documents for me. So ask for help. People are there Yeah, and drink water. Don't drink coffee. Drink water. <laughs> I know, right? Asking for help is so hard because you feel like you're going, you feel like you're making this decision to grow your family in this unique way that everybody knows is going to be challenging and complicated. Um, But this is your life and you chose this battle. Right. Um, It's my battle. I should have to do it. Exactly. Which is such, such a destroying narrative that we tell ourselves. It may not even be in the context of adoption, but I know in terms of military spouse stuff, I remember moving to Korea and Sean, me, me being pregnant with, surprise pregnancy with Lucy, smelling a lot of intense Korean food smells that I had not been used to and feeling very nauseous and sick and very resentful towards Sean and him telling me something to the effect of you signed up for this, Mm. which like, I mean, Lucy's (laughs) like eight and a half now. So like this is stuck with me. But, you know, we really, so younger selves, people who are 29 and hearing this, maybe new moms, dads, no one minds that you signed up for this and still need help. No one minds. It's okay to get help. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay. And on that same token, you still need to be persistent yourself because I've had so many people reach out to me knowing my story and wanting a checklist to just check some boxes and make it happen for themselves. And at the same time, like every person's path is different. So you have to push forward and persist and ask questions and ask for help along that journey, obviously. But you can't just just ask for help either. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, isn't that, that's like a true faith, right? So you can want something, you can say that you want it. I always talk about, you know, I really want these Michelle Obama arms, but you know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing long sleeves today for a reason because I'm not out (laughs) doing the work to go get those Michelle Obama arms. I mean, sometimes I am, don't get me wrong, but like the only way to really get something is to self-advocate for it. And that takes a lot of extra oomph than just wanting it or even just asking for help. Well, and the asking for help can be that. Sometimes being persistent means being vulnerable, means doing things you're uncomfortable with and saying, okay, the next step is this. I'm not capable of that. I need to ask for help. Yeah. That's where I was at. And I should have done that more. I wish I had because maybe I wouldn't have passed out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you never know your limit until I guess you reach it, but I I hear where you're coming from. Yeah. So you get through this season, the boys are yours legally in Korea's eyes. You're going to move. I think you later got stationed in Arizona after that. Mm-hmm, we did. You're going to get stationed in Arizona. You know, it's showtime to start the U.S. immigration side of things. Yeah. What happens there? Well, we knew that to apply for U.S. citizenship, they had to be legally and in our legal and physical custody for two years. Well, they had been in our physical custody over two years at that point, but they had not been legally ours because they were legally ours right about when they turned one. And we moved back to the 
U.S. when they were two and a half. So that was tricky. We had a six-month time period where we had to figure out how to legally keep their passports, their their visas, you know, in correct standing. And I never wanted that to waver because I, like I said, I've been trying to follow the rules every step of the way. I don't want these kids to be taken from me for any reason. And, and I knew they were mine. So, you know, there we go. So what we did was, you know, we could, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong because my memory is so foggy. It's been so long, but I knew that we could be in the U.S. for, I want to say 90 days, about three months um, before we had to rehack their visa for lack of a better term. So my husband took a trip to Belize. It was at the time you couldn't go to Canada or Mexico. Those would have been much easier to, to rehack the visa, but you had to go somewhere other than those. And Belize was the cheapest place we could do. So I wrote a letter as their mother. So it didn't look like human trafficking and picture of our family and that this is what we were doing. And off he went with two two two-year-olds to Belize for two days. And coming back through, he was stopped in customs because it looked like a human trafficking (laughs) situation with him coming into the country um, and having only been gone a day. So after a long stay with customs, he let them back into the country. We waited another 90 days, which was right. So the 90 days literally hit, like, I want to say the day after what would be the two-year mark that we were waiting for to submit what I want to say was the I-485 to then get legal U.S. citizenship for them the correct way. But because that date was so close, close to, you know, the time limit, if you will. We wanted to make sure that paper was in the hands of the U.S. government on time. So we filled out the paperwork. We sent it in two weeks before that timeline expired. And then we waited for a year and a half to get our result, knowing it couldn't be denied or wouldn't be denied because we had followed every step of the rule at this point. And a year and a half later, we got our notice of denial, which is kind of when I freaked out and called you. (laughs) Oh, man. What do I do? Yeah. So just to kind of give some immigration law context to this, What I think always amazes people is that you can adopt a child as an American. They are legally your kid, but they have no immigration status automatically. They have to still go through the immigration process in order to have immigration status in the U.S. So you have to and you have to meet certain requirements. It's not even instant. It's like there are these legal custody and physical custody requirements that you have to meet. And if you file it at all in advance, and I feel like for you guys, it was like 10 days in advance or something. It was. And these applications are over a thousand dollars each to apply to get yeah. your kids citizenship mm-hmm. because we apply for a green card for children adopted, like children who are foreign adopted. But as soon as their green card is air quote approved, they're actually automatically a citizen. They don't have to go through the citizenship process. So it's really remarkable for people to think like, hey, I just have to do X, Y, and Z. And then once they're legally my kid, hey, I'm an American. Dad's an American. Heck, dad's serving in the military. Like you don't get more red, white, and blue than this. I know. No, it doesn't matter who you are. You still have to go through these other steps for your kids to have status and social security numbers and all the other stuff that's necessary. So that's kind of to give some immigration context to it. And yeah, sometimes if you apply being, um, I mean, what is, what is your husband's education background? So he graduated from the U S air force Academy, and then he went on to get his master's MBA master's in business. I am a certified elementary school teacher. So we are educated. English is your first language. English English is my first language. English is his first language. I'm not going to sit here and say we're wealthy, but we're doing fine. You know, like this, this wasn't, yes, it was expensive, but we could do it. It was affordable for us, you know, even though it was thousands 
2000s, it, we made it happen. We had people look it over who are also highly educated with their masters and yeah. everybody thought we were doing the right thing. And then you get this letter in the mail saying, no, yeah. this is saying, wrong. No, it's denied. And not only did it say, no, it's wrong. It's denied. It said we can deport your children, which I mean, I had already been through so many, so, so much of that. So many of those emotions of them being taken away. And here we are at what I thought was the finish line. And I'm being told, no, you're back to step one. And I'm going, well, I guess we're living in Korea the rest of our life because <laughs> this is not working out so well. And then against the backdrop again of the military moving your family again. Oh goodness. I forgot about that part. Yeah. Yes. I yes. remember that it was hectic. Yes. So at the same time, this is happening. The military is trying to move us to Hawaii and um, it's just, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And how do we and keep leave- rehacking the boys' passports yeah. every 90 days from Hawaii? Like right. just, everything just becomes so much more. Well, and obviously you can't just, I mean, you can legally go rehack a passport every 90 days, but it doesn't, it doesn't look right. It's not an easy way to go. I cannot say I recommend that. No. So. And, you know, it's really not necessary at some point too. But so you yeah. reached out to us, we got everything refiled and still the journey was not over. Right. Yeah. Because, and this part, you'll have to remind me a little more because it's. Well, we got everything filed, but the timeliness yeah. of it was the the challenge. Oh, yes. Normally, I mean, in my experience, those types of a normal green card application will take somewhere between four months and a year right now to be adjudicated. Right. We right. filed yours. I remember it was right before Christmas. I it guess was it was. November, I looked it up. So November 6th of 2018 is when we were denied. And so, and we had had three weeks to file or refile three weeks to a month. And so it was quick. It was like a quick turn to refile everything. So we refiled December, I want to say of 2018. Yeah. It was, if I remember right, it was like Christmas Eve or maybe it was New Year's yeah. Eve. It was some like big, um, we, this is going out in today's mail, hell or high water. I do not care. We have to get this done. Yeah. And then when were they, when did these boys finally get their approvals? Well, their official I-130 welcome to the United States stuff in the mail came March of this year of 2022. So almost five years later. Yeah. 19, 20, 21, 22, four years, four, four years. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I mean, they were seven yeah. by then. Yes, eight? they were yeah. seven. So it was, it was a long yep. journey. Yeah. I think that what's remarkable is how, how long, I mean, we had the pandemic in the middle of this. So the pandemic right. extended the immigration process for so many people, but right. a lot of people, their families were not together. These are moms and dads separated from their children. Perhaps mom is here. Dad right. and kids are in foreign country trying to get reunified. Thank God, you guys were all together. Yes. Um, but a four-year process that should usually take one. Right. And we wrote senators. We wrote we, senators in both states that we lived in during that time. Yeah. And sadly, they were, in my experience, pretty non-responsive. Yes, absolutely. I, I got signed up on every list of things they then wanted me to care about, but <laughs> they were unresponsive. They marketed to, to you. Yeah. They marketed to me. They took that as, oh, you want to be marketed to? No, I don't. I want you to help. Yeah. What was it like when you finally got their their official documents in the mail. What was that day like? Oh, tears. Yes. Oh my goodness. It was amazing. And you know, what was funny is it was, it was sudden, like we didn't know it was coming in the mail that day. So we very quickly went and ordered a cake from the grocery store because I didn't even have time to bake one. I was like, I have two hours till dinner. We ordered a cake and they were so nice. They just picked one up there and I said, can you just write your US citizens? And we were going to announce it to them like a surprise. And they spelled citizens wrong on the cake. It was C-I-T-I-Z-U-N-S, citizens. So we were laughing. Some slang in there. A little slang. 
saying you're U.S. citizens. We were laughing so hard that that was their welcome to this messed up process and, you know, not yes. quite a right system. <laughs> There's no Zen in becoming a citizen. <laughs> no, no. Um, and so we, you know, kind of hit the cake and revealed it. We're like, what does it say? And they were excited because they had been waiting. And they, at this point, they're seven. They knew what was going on. We had really hoped all this would be taken care of when they were three, you know, when they didn't. Yeah. Know, so. yeah. What a journey. Yeah. When parents are hearing this, there might be people listening that think, I don't know if I could do that. What do (laughs) you say to them? You know, it's one step at a time. I might've said that too, but I didn't handle all eight years of this at one time. At one moment, it was one step one foot in front of the other, one rung of the ladder of just finding out more information. And it started with, hey, we're moving to Korea. Maybe that's where we should adopt from because we'll know the culture better. And and then learning about that we couldn't adopt from there and then getting really fired up about, you know, how many kids were getting stuck in an orphanage situation and, and then really wanting to do private adoption. And it was just, it was one little piece at a time. So that really is so much of how faith works too, in my experience, where you have some big vision in your mind, but you only get to see a small piece of it at a time. Right. And I think that I know that you've had, you've had a, another baby who was not adopted. And while that process may be more straightforward because we understand it because we see it constantly, I don't think it's actually anything that one could ever expect or anticipate the amount of work that goes into that either. So exactly. I mean, we have now two biological daughters in addition to our two. That's right. There's two. Yeah. So, and both were very much surprises and unplanned. And I mean, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the way our life is now. It's like I said, if I could have planned this, this would be my life, but yeah, never expected it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Incredible. Yeah. Um, to people who run in our circles and they hear your story. When I say our circles, I'm thinking like military spouse or military family circles. That's where our biggest, I feel like our biggest overlap is mm-hmm. when they meet your family and when they perhaps hear a glimpse of what you've been through, what do you feel like their main reaction is? That I'm crazy. Usually. And, and what is, what do you, how do you process that? I mean, well, nobody kn- knows. Most people do not know the whole story. They don't know every little piece of it, every little puzzle piece that went into it, every little building block. They don't see that full picture. They see that it's incredible and they're shocked by it. And usually I will hear, oh, I've heard about you. <laughs> That's usually the number one thing when I meet somebody new, oh, I've heard about your family, um, which to me is just a testament to it being a miraculous experience. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for giving people hope because they may be going through the thick of this and the imagery that you painted, which is just one ladder rung at a time. It really is. You're going up. Gravity is pulling you down, but you are still going up and you only have to, you don't have to take two rungs at a time. It's just one step at a time. And the immigration process, it's not that you are smart, It's not that you were dumb. It's just that it's a specialty area and getting help is really important. Yeah. Getting help is the only way we could have done it. So thank you, Hillary. Amazing. So many people along your journey and thank you, Squadron Families. We do build our family. We do. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Hillary. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ashley's amazing story of belief, of acting in faith, And knowing that this is the thing that I want in my life. I want a family and I'm willing to go through whatever it takes in order to build it. I hope that that has given you some peace, some hope, 
and just a lot of joy in knowing that sometimes we're in the middle of it. We may not see how far in front the finish line is, but that if I continue to walk step by step, or like Ashley talked about going up the ladder one rung at a time, I will reach the goal that I have in mind. And to my immigrant brothers and sisters who you're waiting on your mom or your dad to get their papers, or you are the person waiting for your papers, and maybe your experience has been 10, 15, 20, 30 years long, I want to tell you, I, I want you to not give up. Don't give up. Keep going one more day. Don't quit today. Just do one more day and only take it one day at a time. I'm believing for you. And I hope that hearing Ashley's story of resilience and hope and overcoming has given you a little hope to continue your journey. We believe for you and in you, and we send you lots of love. And I hope that if this is helpful for you, you'll share Ashley's amazing story with a friend. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on another episode of the Immigration Law Made Easy podcast.